You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashSteel.com, and this is episode 91. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is my regular my regular panelists, freelance writer Rob Zachney. Good evening, everyone. Freelance writer Julian Murdoch. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, you both had a great weekend without me again. You two are in love, and I resent it. And Dr. Bruce Garrick. Oh, oh Harold Gamers. <laughs> <laughs> what? God, the Japanese Defense League comes yeah. after me because of that. I'm kind of screwed. Um, uh, so this week, uh, we are going to talk about a um, topic that Rob brought up uh, in the email chain that leads up to us deciding what topic we'll do at the last minute. Uh, we're going to talk about strategy games that have licenses uh, behind them. Movie licenses, book licenses, how strategy games bring these worlds to life, whether they capture the licenses, and the problems licenses present for strategy game designers. Now, Rob, this was your idea. Uh, so why don't you kick us off with what what brought you to think of it and uh, what issues come to your mind? Well, you're letting yourself in for a little game story. Um, oh, great. Should yeah, I put right. my feet up and get a pipe? Absolutely. <laughs> no, it won't take that long. I um, Over the weekend, uh, I was at Julian's house, and Rob Davio was there. We've had on the show. And uh, he and I played Battle for Middle Earth. Um, I've never played it. I don't know if you guys have. Bruce, I'm sure you have. Battle for Middle Earth or Battle for Middle Earth 2? Uh, Battle for Middle Earth. The, board the game. original one? Yeah, it was no, a board the game. Big, with... The big board game. Oh, the wait, 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 wait. Battle for, there's, uh, which one is Battle for Middle Earth? Are you talking about War of the Ring? War of the Ring is what you mean, Rob. Oh, is that what I meant? You mean War of the Ring? Okay, yeah. we'll see. This is this is the problem with this topic, right? There are so many licensed titles with similar like themes and names. Did it have okay, a giant so meant... board and like cards and things and a? Yeah, it had yeah, it had cards and lots of dice. Okay, War of the Ring. War of the Ring. Um, yeah, so anyway, um, so War of the Ring, it, it, it all takes place on sort of like an Axis and Allies map of Middle-Earth. It's divided into little territories, and you all know how that map looks. Um, and on the one hand, it, it starts out, it's very, it's very much like a Middle-Earth war game where um, I was playing the Forces of Darkness, and uh, Rob was playing the Forces of Light. And I started out just that sort sounds, of... That sounds, really, that sounds about right. It really does. Um, so it starts out a really sort of conventional war game. But what's interesting is the way that you are playing a Lord of the Rings game, where there's a lot of things that, if you look at the board and you're just playing pure strategy, you wouldn't account for them. You couldn't account for them. Uh, but things just sort of happen in this game, sort of unexpectedly, much the way they do in the novel. And just one example is... Um, at one point, I finally brought the Witch King out and used him to attack Minas Tirith. Uh, so I was being very—I was playing a very historically accurate strategy here, and I brought the Witch King out, and I had overwhelming numbers on my side, and I figured, okay, Minas Tirith is going to fall and kill Gimli and Aragorn, because Aragorn was in there. And um, Rob plays this card that, on a semi-lucky roll, but it's still a pretty common one. Um, if Aragorn happens to be in battle, in a battle where the Witch King is fighting, um, it's like instant death for the Witch King. And there goes your general, and there goes your army. And so this this entire attack that's been, you know, turn after turn, sort of, you know, rallying my forces and ready to steamroll the forces of Gondor, um, it all goes to hell 
because Aragorn just pulls some lucky critical strike and murders the king of the Nazgul, you know, dead right there, and uh, my game kind of falls apart. And I thought, yeah. well, on the one hand, that pisses me off. On the other hand, that's so Lord of the Rings. Now, in the end, which one of you ended up winning that game? Well, that's, I mean, that's the other thing. I'm not, I, I haven't made up my mind what I think of this game because I ended up winning on, I ended up winning because the, um, the Fellowship reached the crack of doom and was about to toss the ring in. And I got very lucky <clears throat> on a um, fellowship check, basically, and they died. Well, no, you corrupted them, right? Yeah, yeah, ba- yeah. Basically, so the Eye of Sauron, you know, brought them to their knees. Right. In the so end. basically, felt yeah. Basically, Frodo's like, "Yep, I'm keeping it." <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, w- why did you say this is just so Lord of the Rings? Because there were there were things in that game that. It was a game sort of going on two tracks, where on the one hand, I'm playing a pretty standard war game and maneuvering my armies and marshalling my forces and attacking, you know, critical junctures. And there's all these things that I allow for that, you know, my, it might, that makes sense to my wargamer brain, right? You know, the superiority of forces and the lines of march, all of that makes sense to me. Um, but at times, it's like the laws of wargaming are kind of suspended because ultimately you're playing a heroic fantasy game. And so things will come into this game that sort of exist outside and almost break the rules of the war game you're playing. Um, and you just, have to, you just have to keep in mind that you're not dealing with just a clash of armies here, clash of factions. You're dealing with guys who have the author on their side, who have the fact they are the heroes of the story on their side. You are, you are trying to fight your way against a narrative. Right, but you won. Yeah, it could have easily gone the other way. I honestly, I was outplayed. See, the thing that the thing that I love about War of the Ring, and 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 it's a great jumping off point to talk about licensed games in general. I, to me, War of the Ring does exactly what a licensed game should do, which is capture all of the things that are cool about playing something historical. Right, feeling like you know the place, feeling like you've been there before. Right, I mean that's part of why we you know we've talked about World War II endlessly. Right, because we've known those battles for so long, they feel familiar, and so making tweaks and battle plans and things like that has a certain shock of the the familiar that you wouldn't get if you were just playing some random game based in outer space that you'd never heard of before. And so a really great licensed game like War of the Ring, I think, captures all that beauty and and familiarity of being in a historical setting, yet you sort of get the sense that because you're reworking fiction, it doesn't feel quite so wrong as when, say, when you're playing a classic World War II battle and it goes overwhelmingly the other way versus how it went in history, because that often makes you feel like the game is broken, not so much that you were so much smarter than the people on the field, right? And right. and that's what I love about War of the Ring, is that even when the game breaks from from the you know the false history of Tolkien completely, right? And early in your game when I saw it, you had like, you know, you had troops up in the Shire, like on turn three. Like yeah. right early in the beginning of the game. So you completely upended the actual story. I've played right in sessions of that game where it's it just happens to have fallen very close to the storyline. And both of those things can feel very real and not have one feel fake and phony and broken. And the only right answer being the one that actually happened in the books. So I, I think the, the beauty of licensed fictional properties – 
um, is they, they kind of get you the best of both worlds. I just want to interject here that... Um, could, could you speak up, Chris? Oh, I'm sorry. Is it? That's better. Okay. Um, it was my little microphone thing. Uh, I, I actually wrote a long screed about War of the Ring about five years ago uh, when I had a little more free time. And uh, the thing that I kind of, that I like in War of the Ring 2 is basically it's stratomatic baseball because it's a historical recreation of something that, for all intents and purposes, happened. And we all know it did. But... Uh, <laughs> Things can deviate from the storyline, and they have a probability of deviating from the storyline as sort of as likely as they would have been in the game. So, you know, some magical dwarves from some whatever Iron Mountains or wherever they live uh, coming and taking over uh, more or statistically possible, but it's very, very unlikely. And uh, I wrote a whole screed about it, so there'll just be a link at the bottom of the podcast. But that's as as Julian was saying. That's part of the point of licensed games is that things have to sort of have a they have to have an importance to the game proportional to the importance that they had in the uh, uh, in the story or in the whatever it is the movie the book the mm-hmm. uh, you know mud the fan fiction etc. I mean, Lord of the Rings is probably the best example because we have not just some great board games, we have some great RTSs. The Battle for Middle-Earth RTS is both very different, uh, but both excellent. And what's interesting I find about them is they're not really about the books. They're about the movies. Uh, and I think their license is just for the movies. It's not for the Middle-Earth books. Though, right. they still have, though they have Tom Bombadil in it, who was not in the movies at all. Right. Much to the chagrin of Deathlock and other everyone, he, every, sort of other every elf lovers, human. other elf lovers everywhere. He's sort of a free agent, but yeah. uh, but I, I guess a, a, another point to to make about I mean this to me is all the same thing that I've spouted on m- multiple times and in, in in previous podcasts about how the whole point of these games is that people want to get involved with parts of something that they really enjoy and want to be more involved in. And so if you're interested in uh, War of the Ring, or if you're interested in Lord of the Rings and you want to have you know, Gandalf do magical things, then it would really suck if Gandalf is just some sort of uh, you know, uh, you know, if, if the Gandalf character doesn't do what you expect the Gandalf character to do, and he has to have sort of a role in the game that's that's consistent with what the, with, what the Gandalf character is, but it can't just be a replay of the whole thing. So it has right. to have some probability of being different, which is how kind of how it's like Stratomatic Baseball. Because in Stratomatic Baseball, you can have, you know, uh, you know, some, you know, light hitting shortstop hit thirty home runs. Right. It's very well, but, unlikely, but it can still happen. But the thing about, I mean, I think it's great to compare something like War of the Ring with Battle for Middle Earth. I think my problem with the Battle for Middle Earth games was was actually that the heroes kind of felt incidental. And they mm-hmm. kind of, I actually remember sort of feeling annoyed by them more than feeling like, oh, if I can get Aragorn into this battle, I can turn the tide. It never felt right. like that. It always just no, sort of felt like, I, I'm sure I am. Um, but, uh, but it never, I never felt like super excited to have Aragorn in the right place at the right time. I need to right. play against Tom Chick. 
Yeah, the heroes. I found the I found the heroes great in. Um, you wanted to get your heroes out in Battle of Middle Earth too, and because they they might not be able. They they really could turn the tide of the battle with the special powers. They could, um, and you as the overlord king had of course your own magic powers to drop down, which helped quite a bit too. And to use those in concert with the heroes. Uh, was could actually be quite remar- remarkable and a thing of beauty. My th- point, where the thing where it deviates, where Battle of Middle Earth Two deviates from the Tolkien fiction, is the whole ring thing. Um, you can play game after game after game and not see the ring because until you can find Gollum and knock him down, uh, you're not going to get the ring. He has it. You kill him or beat him to death or capture him or whatever, and then you get the ring. You take it back, and the victory counter starts tagging. It's not about capturing the ring it's but, about but capturing the, a stronghold but the but the the conflicts of middle earth aren't really about the ring that doesn't bother me so much at all i mean the ring doesn't really? actually feature into the major battles in well, the no, but, in but, the, the, but the, the ring is almost ancillary um well, but means, so is it so is it in the books right i mean the ring doesn't come into play no, well, no, hang on I'm hey, yeah well, no, hey, i'm gonna i gotta yeah Oh okay. come on! So here, no, it, it, I think point in the battle, it, name me one big battle where the possession of the ring. Didn't, I didn't say the incidental to the books. That's completely I, insane. No, no, no. I said they're incidental. I said they're incidental to the battles I, of the book. Play okay. the tape. Play the tape back, please. Okay. So hang on. I just want to. This is something I think that War of the Ring does really well. If you're if you're curious about what the track is here for, like, where does the ring fit in against this like political landscape? War of the Ring does it really well. Where the 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 ring, you know, if if the ring never moves, um, Sauron doesn't care. He can pick up the ring later be, after he kills everyone. That's ultimately the strategy he was with in the in the novels. Mm-hmm. Um, but what War of the Ring gets across is you've got all these little powers that if they if they united and went into action against Mordor, Sauron would have a problem on his hands. But they aren't all united. The elves are sitting out the conflict. The dwarves are sitting out. There's only a few people really engaging in this. And so the ring becomes, it's an asymmetric tactic where it's like, okay, we are not going to defeat the legions of Mordor on the battlefield because we can't get everyone together. So we're going to get the fellowship together, and this is our last roll of the dice. And we're going to send it to the Crack of Doom, and we're going to destroy the ring. And And that dynamic plays out in the game. The thing that that I, that I haven't seen in any Lord of the Rings game, and this is all, all, all rapidly becoming the Lord of the Rings strategy podcast, but yes. we'll move on. Uh, we'll, we'll move, move on. on but, but 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 the thing that I thought I think would be brilliant that I've never really seen is a really good implementation of Fog of War if, as you're playing Sauron, because one thing the the thing that's so interesting about the books is the idea that Sauron always has such imperfect information and so much of the books is about his struggle to get better information it's about his spies and the palantir and all it, there's so much about him trying to find and seek and reaching out and extending himself out in order to seek the ring that's really difficult to capture in a board game where you've got really limited ability to do fog of war. I'd love to see something like war of the ring that, that layers in the strategic elements and the political elements and the combat elements all together, but really puts the, the dark side player behind the kind of fog of war he's in, in the books. Like he doesn't have enough problems facing an army of hobbits. <laughs> if only the hobbits had actually fielded an army, then, then things would have gone better. Uh, I mean, Lord of the Rings is probably one of the great nerd uh, licensed uh, franchises, and you can see it in t- lots of different games, good and bad. Uh, what about Star Wars? 
or Star Trek and good science fiction licensed games. Is there any? There have been lots of Star Wars RTSs, haven't there? Uh, there was Rebellion. There's Rebellion, um, Empire at War, and Ground Commander, Force Commander. Right. Does anyone get? Do they, do they capture? I I miss those. I, I like Star Wars. I'm really more of a Star Trek guy than a Star Wars guy. Um, There's a fundamental difference between the two, and I think you can. Yes. Well, first of all, Star the Rebellion was actually Rebellion was a decent game that was broken by the fact that it had had uh, the, this, the one of the worst interfaces I've ever seen. It was so awful. Um, but I think Rebellion did a, a decent job of uh, sort of. I hate the cliche, but capturing the feel of the Star Wars uh, universe. Unfortunately, it's not very gameable because you have these these uh, the whole point of the uh, Star Wars universe is that you had these you know isolated rebels that were tr- kind of you know picking at the the corners of this giant empire that had all you know it was it was completely undefeatable from a from a straight up military standpoint. So you, right. so in a, in in computer game terms, it's kind of hard to do. Um, the problem with Star Trek, unfortunately, I think, and, and there's a sort of a cliche that all these Star Trek games are all, you know, all Star Trek computer games are bad, is that I think Star Trek is a particularly bad license to um, to try to game because, yes. like like Julian said, uh, you know, the the whole point is to to try to uh, to flesh out these elements that uh, are already presented. In the original licensed material, and Star Trek is really Star Trek is not good. the The Star Trek universe itself is not well fleshed out and doesn't have a lot of hooks that you and, can. You know, when you make things in Star Trek, you you sort of, it's it feels like you're kind of inventing them for the game, not hooking on yes. to things in the series because the series. And I'm I'm just talking about the original series because I I it's it's a little hard for me to I haven't seen all of the 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 next generation all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. but. Uh, but I really feel like things are mentioned sort of peripherally. The only thing you really get in uh, in uh, the Star Trek universe is the, the the sort of the Federation versus the Klingons, and there's some Romulan stuff. But all this stuff like the Gorn and what the I mean, the Gorn like show up like once, and there's the guy and he's, he's green and stuff. I mean, it's <laughs> it's 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 not it's not it's not a deeply realized universe. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, I and, think. And, yeah. So go ahead. Just, go ahead. Just to jump in there, I think the other problem with it is because it's not like the movies where you don't actually see a lot of this stuff. You've got you're using the source material as a series of shows where you get to see these ships doing their thing a lot. But what you never get, what you almost never see, is like a pitched battle in Star Trek because well, that's because antithetical to the show. It's always like, I've, what will this crew of characters pull out of their ass? Right, and Star Trek is fundamentally about confrontation avoidance, right? I mean, that was that was the Red whole Rick? shtick about why Star Trek was so revolutionary that. in the late '60s. Was it wasn't about space combat? It was about crisis resolution, not crisis simulation, right? And right. so, so a ga- you know, if you were going to make a great game in that world, it would almost have to be <laughs> like political, not a war game. I agree. No, and that's, and 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 consequently. You know all these games. As soon as you start trying to to fit this into a into a more traditional computer games uh, kind of paradigm, it falls apart because it feels like you're inventing things. You shouldn't. You should never feel in a licensed product like you're completely inventing things out of whole cloth in the universe of the product. Un- so, so what's your thinking of of what I would consider the best licensed science fiction strategy game of all time, Dune? 
because that I felt invented a lot of conflict that wasn't really so much there. Do you talk about the board game Dune? No, I'm talking about the video game. You mean like Dune 2000, way back in? I'm talking like Dune 1, 1992. Good. RTS. Yeah. Do you guys not play Dune? Oh, oh yeah, I remember. I it's like seminal. Dune and you mean Dune 2? Because yeah, Dune, Dune 2 was the one that was the real time strategy. Right. Yeah, Dune, Dune, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, Dune 2, right. So, yeah, so that yeah. would be 1993 or something like that. Yeah, but that's a, that's a uh, that's a different story because the 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 I think the reason that, that that game wasn't good because it was Dune. That game was good because it it sort of I mean, it that was one of the first real time strategy games. I mean, when, if, if yeah. you're going to invent a whole new genre, then fine. Then 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 you can you can break any rule you want. Okay, but you're only going to invent a new genre every. You know how often you're going to invent a new genre. Right, right. So, but but my point is that that in that game, I, I'm not going to remember the names. But but it wasn't just Atreides and Harkonnen. It was these other guys, right? Dune to make it the rock paper scissors. Dune is completely, completely sort of ancillary to that. What the the reason that that was good at that time was that people wanted to play things that were Dune because a certain person of a certain age now read those dune books at a certain time usually junior high school thought it was amazing literature and wanted to play games about dune and then they got this game that said oh dune they played it and it was like holy crap this is a great game but it had nothing to do with dune it had to do with the fact that it was an amazing new way to play strategy games so, i yeah, didn't like can, it if you can <laughs> that's because you're canadian because I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, there's so many things about that game I don't remember ever happening before. I mean, that really, yeah. I mean, yes, you know, because if you can, tr- if you can trick people into playing an amazingly great masterpiece <laughs> game by, you know, sticking a license tag on it, then yeah, absolutely. But I mean, okay. that, that's that's going to happen one in a yeah. bazillion years. I mean, the, the whole so you deny my a, you deny my assertion about this being a great license he, game because he, it's he, too he, good. He denies yeah. the premise of your question. Yes, the premise of the question is false. It's not a great licensed game. It's a great game. It's an that amazing game. It happened to be licensed, which but the license probably, didn't make it great at all. Not at all. It had nothing to do with it. Right. Except but the I fact think, that eh. it, in general, it's sort of a, in general. I mean, the the Dune the Dune universe is very. Is, I think it's a very compelling universe, and. You know, if you can stick stuff in it and then make the game amazing, then come on, you, giant worms swallow your tanks. I mean, that's yes. it, dude. <laughs> that's, I said that's. I said what? What? What about that? What? what what's your objection to giant worms swallowing your tanks? No, I'm saying that that's part, that's that's something you don't get in other games. It's not just because they slap the license on it. I'm I what see the, your I see your point. The license is tangential. I agree. Okay. The license is tangential. I kind of want to go back to that. I kind of want to go back to that point though about like. Not wanting to feel like things are being invented. I think this is a tightrope to walk. You want, like, licensed games, good ones, should feel like they are expanding the universe, but not not making it up. You know what I mean? Like, it, it should feel, everything should feel plausible. Like, it's a part yeah, of this plausible. world that, that never right. came it's up in the books. Right. Never came up in the books or films, or maybe you only saw a frame of it. And then mm-hmm. you can use that to expand it and make it consistent with what people know about this universe. And I think one thing that the Star Wars games have always had going for them is very early on, you had um, you know the flight sims come out, where they had to sort of fill them up with you know spaceships that maybe you hadn't maybe never came up in the films. You had to sort of populate it with believable Star Wars type, you know, ships. Um, And then for the later strategy games, you've got, you've got this body of work from the novels and from these other games that it's, it's, it's forming into a cohesive universe. Um, And I I think that, that made their task a lot easier. 
I think, because Star Wars, the universe started expanding very quickly. And right. I, and with Star Trek, it, it never really had the opportunities to do that. Have you ever played uh, Starfleet Battles board games? Oh, yes. Board games? Oh, my God. Yeah. So good. So yes. blatantly ripping off Star Trek. That, but that yeah. reimagined that reimagined what would yes. Star Trek have been like if it really yes. was about guys flying around in spaceships yes. blowing the crap right. up. I right? agree with you. And, I agree and with it was you. like it was like Mech Warrior in outer space. It was yes. so great. Yes, and 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 remember that there was a game called Federation and Empire. Yes, I have it on my shelf. Yes, I do too. It's so you. good. So, but that, so, can you explain what makes these good instead of just? Yeah, I'm about to oh, ejaculate. We're going to ramble. We're just going to ramble they're, on. We're not yeah. going to tell you anything great. about them at all. Just like cryptic title. Cryptic title. Awesome. They're so awesome. Go, yeah. go ahead. What makes? <laughs> why did you mention Starfleet Battles? Well, because because it's not licensed. It's not but, licensed, but it's basically. I mean, it's Star it is Trek. Star, right. Sorry, it it is the it ship. Is. The the ship on the cover. I think they got sued for. Because the only thing that doesn't make it the original Enterprise is it doesn't say NZ-1701 on it. No, 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 but they, they won the case. I was talking to um, uh, Chris Hanrahan of Endgame Oakland about this you know, a few weeks ago. Those actually are the Star Trek ships. They won their court case. They got it under some sort of licensing snafu really early in the universe's history. That somehow they've got like this ironclad right to produce this game um, that just kind of... They basically slipped under the radar, apparently. Anyway, Bruce, you raised that because? Well, I mean, I raised it because it's it's a, it's an example of the Star Trek universe breaking all the rules that Julian just made for it and still being a fantastic game. And also, Federation Empire, which is, uh, which is a, uh, a strategic kind of... Uh, um, yeah, I mean, yes, what is it is. It's a strategic game about the Klingon Federation conflict, uh, in which you can actually play out the tactical battles using Starfleet battles. Well, of course, mm-hmm. never done that because it would probably take about sixty-eight years. But once again, that's stuff that hasn't been well realized in the uh, in the um, Star Trek in the series, mythos. In the Star, yeah, Star Trek mythos, but. It still works out great. I mean, those are great games. And I'm very curious about why Julian thinks that that actually works where it doesn't work in computer games because I have my own theories, but I'll let Julian well, know. Well, so I, part of it, let, let me, let's back up a second for the people who aren't 900 years old. So part of what made Starfleet Battles so great was it combined this, the sort of grandeur of space opera, big ships moving around in a big you know environment and, you know, flinging the energy of suns at each other with micromanagement that was really satisfying. And the micromanagement in this case was you had much like a battle tech game. You sort of had a schematic printout. I can't remember what they were called of your, of your ship um, that had not only information about what it could do, but you know, if you got hit in a certain place, you checked off damage in certain places um, very much like in, in a much more grandiose way, something like car wars, right? Where you like right. you take damage to your tire. Yep. You can't make turns yep. to the left very well anymore, right? right? If you get shot in your right laser, you're not going to be able to, you know, shoot that side from that side of your ship. So you have sort of these classic naval feeling battles where you've got, Limited yes. movement, although I think it had a, a, essentially a simultaneous movement yes, system, was which is really unique. Um, right. So so I could be in a slow ship. You could be in a fast ship. All that meant would be for each little tick of time, I'd go a little further than you. 
Yep. I bet it, it, it wasn't I do all my stuff, you do all your stuff. Yes, it's so a very it, Euro game in that sense. Yeah, so it, it combined almost sort of a real-time feel because of the impulse system and this kind of really satisfying micromanagement of really paying attention to what your ship was doing and you know turning your ship one tick left or right can make all the difference in the world. So it had all the beauty of a really good naval simulation, but with this sort of grandiose space opera feel. And I don't know whether they could have pulled that off and called it Star Trek. Because in Star Trek, there always would have been that part of you that would have thought, well, James T. Kirk wouldn't have shot the unarmed enemy, right? And in Starfleet yeah. Batters, you just say, screw him, blow him up. Yeah. So, so I, th- I think Bruce's I just question, I, I want to jump in there. Go okay. ahead. No, 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 you go, Troy. You I, was go gonna, I just wanted to make sure we didn't lose track of your question, which was, you have a theory as to why this would, why the Star, why this universe, the Star Trek universe, might work in a board game, but doesn't in the computer universe. No, I, I actually, it was a trick question, and Julian okay. slammed a grand slam on that, which is exactly what I was thinking. But uh, Julian gets credit because he came up with it totally on his own. It's not a license. Wow, game. wait a minute, I got it right. Did I get a gold star? Yeah. That's totally never happened right. before. It's not a licensed game. That's what makes that game that it it's freed but it's from almost a licensed exactly, game. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But it's so it's not. like awesome fanfic. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> it's because the whole point of the, this is the whole point of the thing. This is what I always thought about this game is that it uses all the stuff that I mean. It's like oh look, I'm moving the little Enterprise, but it's not really the Enterprise. And if you say it's the Enterprise, it's the Enterprise in some other world. And it's in, a, in another world, it's a non-licensed world where you're freed from all your expectations of it having to fit into some poorly realized universe because well, but, it's but not. To be fair, though, it's not like I mean, I, I can't remember what was in the original box set. But they're called Klingons, right? They're called. Bullies. I know, dude, but it's not focused on Enterprise. There's no. As soon as you start, because the the like right, uh, you're not you don't you don't decide whether to pick Kirk yes. as your captain. Like right. you right, mentioned, right. like you mentioned, like you mentioned, the whole thing about you know it's a series about these characters. It's not a series about these ships. So if you take all that stuff out of it, you can't really I can't really call something Star Trek if it doesn't have James Kirk in it. I mean, that's crazy, right? But if you if you if you delete the if you get rid of the license, you can take out all the character stuff. And now you've got, no. you know, Oh, you uh, Troy is, Troy is Hold on. No, no, I'm just going to challenge you about that because do, yeah. couldn't you say that you know Lord of the Rings is also about the characters? It's not really about the kingdoms. It's not about you know, Rohan and the kingdom of it, the elves. It Elf. is about the ring, let's be clear. It's about, it's, it is about the ring. It's about the characters. It's about how they respond to it. But we've all these other games, some good games, about kingdoms raising armies and moving them and kicking some butt. Right. Um, which, is, which is, once again, moving away. It is certainly a part of uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but that's not what the books are about. And Star Trek has, you know, Romulans and neutral zones and Cardassians and this yes, whole big they're world. They're completely incidental. They're completely incidental. The the war, the Lord of the Rings universe, all the all the political stuff and the background stuff is very important. It's basically the thing that anchors the characters. the 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 characters are in the um, in the War of the Ring game. They're in Battle for Middle Earth, the computer games one and two. They have various, you know, in, in um, I know Julian was saying how um, the, uh, or I'm sorry, who said it? Was, was it Rob? Sorry. Mm. Who said, 
who said that they were annoyed? Oh no, it was Julian because he said that he was annoyed by the fact that the the characters were. Uh, they were he was annoyed by the characters when they came up, and I told him that, that uh, Tom Chick was not, and he would smoke him with uh, his superior strategies. But um, I mean, they're in the game, but all that other background is 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 what anchors them is extremely important. And if you took that out, then the characters would kind of fail. In Star Trek, those. Those characters are basically the characters. They could be anywhere, and it could be anything. Right. And they're put in these situations. That's why, you know, that's why, uh, you know, whatever the um, uh, Star Trek: uh, The Next Generation is basically the same. You know, they just invented some new things, and they're they're all about this resolution of conflict over, you know, a one-hour show. And it, what what you throw in there just really doesn't matter. And I, you know, that now the Klingons are our friends, and you know they're serving on our ship, and the guy is right. you know one of our, you know, I mean, it, it just doesn't matter. That stuff doesn't right. matter, right? But in in it would be completely crazy to have a Lord of the Rings game in which you know uh, Sauron is like one of the Fellowship, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, right. it, but. He, but you're basically you've taken. I mean, in 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 next generation, you have the Klingons, and they're they're part of the you know they're I don't right. know if they're and, part of the and, federation. And the show and the show sucked until the creators realized, hey, you know what? We need a giant Nazi enemy. Let's go yeah. make one. And then they right. made a giant Nazi, right. indefeatable, right. Right. inhuman, right. atrocious enemy, and the yeah. show although, got great. You know, right? Although I, I I'm not a big fan of the Borg. I think that's kind of a kind of a like a really cheesy way of. Well, that's a different. The Dominion. We're gonna have. A, we will talk. We will talk about Star Trek on episode two hundred and fifty. Yeah. Uh, we scheduled that ahead. Uh, so let's talk about other. So really, the question with licenses is. I mean, Rob said you know, one of the issues is licenses can expand. And he used Star Wars as an example. All these flight sims expand. The novels helped expand the universe beyond the movies and games can pick and choose from that and expand and also expand on their own. That there is some room for creativity. On the other side, we have Star Trek, which uh, by Starfleet Battles not using it, was did not limit themselves to the Star Trek universe, did not limit themselves uh, to the Star Trek uh, te- template. So this right. challenge between expanding a license and licenses, the li- licenses that can be expanded and licenses that can be- are just inherently limiting and constrained. Can we think of other licenses that would either work, would not work? What are the pit- potentials for licenses that we would like to see adapted uh, to the strategy game world? And are we missing any big ones? Uh, let me let me just uh, before we before we move yeah. on, I just want to make sure that we, because somebody somebody people are going to write in the comments. I can't believe you guys didn't talk about Starfleet Command. It's just okay. like you guys said, yada yada. And so okay. there you go. Okay, so okay, Starfleet Command is. Well, you guys know about Starfleet Command, right? Yeah, it's not very good, right? No, I, actually, I disagree with you. I mean, we could have a whole argument about why Starfleet Command is or is not a good game, but uh, right. it, it certainly Starfleet Command is like computer Starfleet battles. I think it breaks for a number of reasons, but we should just mention that that exists. Okay, next. Okay, so let's talk about licenses that could I, I consent. Give, I give Star, Starfleet Command points for trying more than anything, right? It really yeah, did well, try. It's a completely mechanical reason why why it fails, and we can discuss that at another time in another podcast. I have the answer though, but I'll tell you later. <laughs> so, um, so uh, other other licenses, licenses that could, that other active that are being used that aren't being used that have potential for expanding or for constraining Battlestar. licenses that can limit Battlestar Galactica. It drives me absolutely insane that I don't have that I don't have a like war game or strategy game based around it and I don't have a free space type game based around it. What do we what do we know about the, about, a, go ahead. 
what do we know about the Battlestar Galactic universe? Um, well, that's just, I mean, there's there's the problem, right? Um, not not a ter- not not terribly much. Um, we've got a handful of fighters. We've got no real politics. Um, we 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 have, we have space Mormons looking for home. Yes, space Mormons. Yes, yes, exactly. Space yeah, Mormons exactly looking for home. Yeah, that's racist against Mormons. No, that's honestly what it is. It's an allegory for the Great Trek. Oh God. Okay, here we go. And you're <laughs> mad because I made fun of Japanese people. <laughs> no, but but it is. But what does that make the Cylons? Yeah, they're uh, the hostile territory that uh, the Islam. Mormons have. Also known as the rest of America. Yeah. They're Indians. Oh, They're yeah. hostile Christians. Can we, can we just can we change the direction of the ship now? True. Yes. Uh, All you Mormon commenters, please say which of you is, is Adama, and support me in my defense of Battlestar as a Mormon allegory, um, just as Lord of the Rings is an allegory for something happened in Tolkien's childhood. So let's uh, so Battlestar. That's it's really I can't. How would you take a strategy game out of um, Battlestar? I mean, you kind of a. So it got the same problems as Star Trek. It's basically the this guy has the same problems as Star Trek. Well, only, I don't think so. Only well, no. Okay, go ahead. Okay, you don't oh. think so. Well, I think I think the problem you sort of run into with Star Trek is Star Trek has left almost too much of a paper trail, and it's too internally inconsistent. Um, the cap- the capabilities of a starship in Enterprise or whatever the plot needs them to be. Uh, the capabilities of crew change with what the plot needs them to be needs them to be able to do whereas i think what you're starting with in battlestar that'll make the job a little easier is you're starting with a universe that i would say makes that tends to behave well um from a wargamer's perspective like when these ships start doing battle don't doesn't it sort of seem to don't you get a sense like ah this makes sense you know you got two you got two battle stars taking on base star that that seems about right um Whereas I think with Star Trek, I don't think it ever gets that clear cut. You can say, well, a uh, Enterprise class starship versus a Bird of Prey, but that that matchup changes from movie to movie, show to show. I don't think that's a problem. No, I don't. I mean, uh, J. Michael Straczynski, when talking about Babylon Five, which I think would make a great, great strategy game. I mean, he was asked, you know, how how fast does a Star Fury fly at a fan convention? And he said they they, they travel at speed of plot. You know, the important thing is, do they get there in time or not? It's not, you know, what are the capabilities of the specific ships. It's about, you know, how do they fit into the mythology and what is their role. Um, it's not really that concerned about what the Enterprise can and cannot do and their whole thickness. These aren't Tiger Fours. Uh, but Babylon 5, I think, would make a great uh, – it would be a great license. Well, it would be good one, if it was good at something. Hey, don't you oh, – oh, right don't, don't you, you. – Zach, oh, and God. I are on the same side on this one. You're wrong. It couldn't You're possibly so... be worse than it was as a show. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. You're both off. You're fired. I'm cutting. Unless they, they made a more version. Cut the mics. Cut the mics. No, I love Babylon Five. Even with Tammy overacting. In fact, what I love ba- it because of the, Babylon Five. Is that so a great like science fiction or something? You it's a great, si- a great science fiction show. But uh, this, I think a license that we might see coming up uh, in a good strategy game is um, the Song of Ice and Fire. With the there's HBO great, series, I've with never the HBO read the books, but coming there's some up. great board games of it. Okay, some great you, board games of it. See, this is a question. I'm hoping you had read the books. I, I, I haven't played the games. I've seen them. See, I'm I, just I wondering how they. I won't read any series that I'm afraid the person who's writing it will die before they finish. When it's well, yeah, done, I will read it. That's certainly a concern. 
Uh, first of all, I think the Song of Ice and Fire stuff is so completely overrated. I just can't, I can't even say how overrated I think that thing is. I mean, it's so painfully overrated. I will I, I'm going to keep repeating myself. I will agree with you on that. Oh, bad. Okay, See, I wanna, however, however, like, and I will say it's overrated. The, the Game of Thrones, the Game of Thrones board game is mm-hmm. a brilliant, brilliant light war game. I mean, it's not it, to call it a war game oversells it a little bit, but I've played so many games of that. And I feel like I have a real sense of the world just from playing the game, having never read the opening paragraph of the first book, because it, such conveys, a terrible it conveys a ton of feel about the different factions or whatever they call them in the books uh, involved. And and so, I mean, I actually feel like in this case, I may enjoy the books more because I've gone through all of these simulations of the wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good so game. The books themselves are only about the characters. I mean, and there's this war going on in the background. So you don't really, and most of the battles are, it's very Shakespearean in many ways, uh, in that the battles are almost entirely off screen. One large battle is written about in detail. But for the most part, you're talking about the characters, and they see the aftermath of the battles. Is there, is there kissing in this book? That's what I want to know. Oh, God, no. Not just terrible. kissing. You can't game that. <laughs> Not just oh, kissing. Is this uh, a kissing book? Is this a kiss? Exactly. Okay. Uh, you guys so, uh, yeah, I, 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 think a, I think the books are, aren't there great. I think they're, they're interesting, and there's some richly drawn characters. I, mean, I think it, it is a world that is really open uh, to gaming and strategy gaming because it is about, you know, it's about the War of the Roses. Yeah, in it's effect. broken. It's, but it's, it's a, broken. It's not, the, it's not the one you want to use. It's, it's just completely broken. So It's broken? How is it broken? It's broken. It's just as bad. I mean, it's just not good. <laughs> Okay, so you just make up. Oh, well, we could do the real War of the Roses. No, I mean yeah, there's already been game done. about that anyway. There's multiple. The War of the Roses. The War of the Roses isn't a license, though, and therefore no, I'm no. But it, I, I know it's done. Whatever. But well, the, what, no, the, the, the license you want, the license yep. you want, is the Stephen Erickson books. That's the license you want. I have not read those. Well, it's it's. I I heard about it from uh, from people who like that kind of thing. No, I'm not. I'm kidding. I actually read a bunch of them until I like ran out of steam and ran out of time. But uh, they're they're really really good, and uh, they have the same kind of backstory political. Uh, it'd be a little difficult to do. I think you would have to probably do individual games on individual books. Um, but uh, what I, I don't think you guys are familiar with it or enough people are familiar with it. So uh, I would just leave it at leave a, put the link at the bottom of the podcast. The thing that's interesting about it is that Steven Erickson does such a great job of developing a world that has sort of it has so much possibility just from what he describes. Every, every, uh, every scenario he creates has a lot of sort of fill-in-the-blank implications that you can sort of take. You can take it in a number of different ways, but if it were to be fleshed out in a game situation, I think it would be very plausible, and it would be the kind of thing that people would want to latch onto, that you could get hooks into that would seem plausible, like Rob said, and would be interesting from a gaming standpoint. But you, you need to look at the, the first the first book, Stephen Erickson, is um, called Gardens of the Moon, 
And then it goes on from there. He's written like a, I, I ran out of steam after about I think six books. Um, I used to I used to devour them when I uh, when I was doing my neurosurgery interviews. I would take one of those books with me, like pretty much on every fly. I think I I, I wanted something like twenty interviews, and so I had at least forty, you know, one way trips. And uh, I uh, I just took one of those books with me each time, and uh, I think I blew through five or six books just like that. But um, it's they're they're long. There's a long series, but uh, it has a lot of potential that uh, I I think I can't imagine that it won't at some point become a computer game or some or some kind of game, maybe a board game. It'd be difficult though. It's it'd be a little difficult. Any Erickson readers who are listening, please fill the comments and explain to me what the hell Bruce is talking about. <laughs> and you can win a prize. I'm not sure what the prize will be, but you will win it. Um, I kinda, so, hang on. I kind of want to go back to that one thing, though. I, I think you, you were a little too quick to poo-poo the idea that it's important to have a sense for what the units and vehicles in your universe are capable of. I think it's, it's totally cru- I think it's totally crucial that if you're going to, if you're going to establish what is plausible in a universe, if you're going to create right. like an, a licensed property that has that air of authenticity, then right. there needs to be something plausible and authentic about the universe itself when it comes to that type of game. Okay. So you watch the Star Wars movies, you get a sense that the Star Destroyer is really, really powerful, and that maybe right. the Mon Cal cruisers the Rebels have aren't quite as powerful because <laughs> aren't going to quite stick up to it. Yeah. Right, because they won't last long against those Star Destroyers, but they right. will last longer than they will against the Death Star. But, um, but that doesn't mean you have to know how many joules of energy. No, no, that's that's true. Right. It, it, the danger is you don't want to get sidetracked into nerd minutia, but you right. do need a sense of these consistent relationships to build your universe around. And that's what Absolutely. I think a property like Star Trek kind of lacks because th- those relationships are totally inconsistent. Okay. I think a property like BSG... Oh, the, the, issue a, with, the issue with Star Trek is you, there aren't any fighter ships. Everything is a capital ship. Fighter ships are pointless in the Star Trek universe. I think the other issue is how shields work changes from moment to moment. Like, oh, our shields are down. Why? I have no idea. They just they just are. Um, well, because Khan made them come down because he had the secret code. Exactly. Exactly. Because, no, it's the other. It's backwards. Jordy was doing something, and he he changed. Yeah, he changed the phase of the shields or something. That right there is why that is what makes it a shitty ground for a war game. Right, because it always gets solved either by everybody holding hands and singing Kumbaya or Deus Ex Machina. Right. Yeah, that's, how most of my, that's how most of my games with Bruce end. <laughs> singing Kumbaya? I might pay money to see that. <laughs> Usually the Deus Ex Machina. Or Deus Ex Machina. Ah, connection dropped. Yep. We crashed. Oh, I'll have to play Stone Age later. Sorry, the board got knocked over. <laughs> <laughs> Can't do that on Brett's Spiel, damn it. I lost all my meeples. Um... So we're going to wrap up there because Bruce's sound is starting to fade a little bit. It is. Uh, yeah, you're. I going can yell the... louder. No, it wasn't you. It was you were going all googly. Like your voice was getting all strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I want to remind listeners in the Washington D.C. metro area that this weekend we will be having the Fall Flash of Steel Three Moves Ahead meetup once again at the Gordon Beerish Restaurant on F Street in downtown Washington D.C. near the Gallery Place Chinatown Metro Station. Um, 2:30 in the afternoon on Saturday. Please come by. We had a small group last time, about a dozen people. I haven't done as good a job planning this one because. You know, 
life kind of sucks, so I'm a bit kind of chaotic at the moment, but please come. Um, and we can hang out and talk about uh, strategy games. Uh, any other meetings we have, uh, there will be probably another one in every season. And I also want to do one at uh, PAX East this year because uh, we had a great time at breakfast. So there will be more time to meet us. And I was asked today a couple, a few times, if you're in California, do one. Well, if I'm in California, then of course I'll do one. Um, but you know, you don't need me. Uh, our listeners and fans and strategy gamers can all organize their own if they like, and you can sit around. And if have, three or more of you gather, Troy will be there. It'll be, put together your your Bruce Garrick puppets, and they can the Julian puppet with a stick, sort of punch and Judy thing. <laughs> Uh, hey, this but, was all about us violently agreeing with each other this week. I know. Yeah. It was a good... <laughs> so that is this coming weekend. Uh, next week's show, we will be talking... A, it's a classic game analysis, one we people have been demanding for a while. We'll be talking about XCOM. It'll probably be a long show because you can say a lot about XCOM. So I'm going to be digging it out and playing it. And uh, we could talk what made XCOM such a great game and why there are many imitators but really not any successors to what you could argue is one of the most original and best uh, strategy RPG things, things, action games ever made. So that is, once again, next week, and uh, stay tuned for that. Yeah, we've actually planned ahead. Imagine that. In fact, we've planned ahead the next two shows. And after that, it's, we're just going to make it up to go along like we did Perfect. today. Uh, I want to thank uh, Julian and Rob and Bruce for showing up again. Hey, maybe anytime for you, for you, Troy, anything for me. Uh-oh. Yeah, you're still fired. When are we getting some uh, of those donations? <laughs> Don't get the donations. God, I'm, I'm oh, cutting the mad check. loots. I'll cut you a check. Bad loots. Bad <laughs> loot doors. Oh, God. Everyone is going to get a $15 stipend for showing up. How's that? Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, Sweet. whatever, dude. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Just buy me a Whopper with cheese. When I, you know, at some point, if you could just coordinate this with me when I have a weekend, I'm I'm supposed to come up to DC. I have so many people in DC that I need to visit that I haven't visited in a long time. Uh, just coordinate it, and I'll come to one of the you know whatever meetups or whatever it's called. Well, let's do that this winter. We'll coordinate yeah. this winter. Winter. The winter. I'll come to the winter thing. They'll come to the winter one in January or February, and yeah. we'll, where nobody uh, will show up because it'll be so cold. It's Washington. How cold are going to be? We had all of our snow last year for 10 years. <laughs> so, right. say good night, everyone. Good night, right. everyone. Good night. Insert rap music here. <laughs>